Everybody came over but 3,000. 3,000 were slain by God right there in the Old Testament under the law. But now we're under grace. And the 3,000 that the enemy took away, you know, God, God told them, but the, the 3,000 that were lost, perished in the Old Testament, God turned it around and 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. I don't think that's a coincidence. 3,000 gone over here under the law, but 3,000 come in the day of Pentecost. And so Peter and John are full of the Holy Spirit and powerful men of God, and they look at this man, and they said uh, they, they saw a greater need than just money, and he needed to be able to walk. And so they said, silver and gold we do not have, but what we do have give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The man was healed, and he was quite demonstrative in his joy, as I'm sure you and I would be as well. And he was walking and leaping and praising God. We should understand that these gifts are more for the person or persons who need the healing or a miracle than for the ones that God is using as conduit to flow through in any of these nine gifts listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me say that again. When the gifts are in operation, it's more for the person who needs the gift than it is the person who has the gift, that God has endowed with the gift. And that way, I believe also, it helps us to stay humble and not glory in what God has given us, but say, God, it's not about really uh, me having the Holy Ghost. It's about the Holy Ghost having me. Amen? That he possesses me, that we, he can use me as that conduit. Now, the words heal, healed, past tense, healing, or healeth, E-T-H, occur 244 times in the King James Version. The words miracle or miracles occur 64 times in the King James Version. Now, how many realize that God is not a liar? You realize God's Word doesn't lie. So if the Bible said that God healed one time, or that God could do a miracle just one time, those two instances of healing and miracle, one time each, I would still believe that God can do exactly what he said he'd do. But we have 244 times of that uh, word heal, healed, healing, or healeth, and, and 64 times the word miracle or miracles used in the King James Version. Let's go to our text tonight again, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 10a. First part of that, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 10a. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it's the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and here we go, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles. Two quick definitions. The definition for healing. Simply the process, notice that word process, of making or becoming sound or healthy again. Healing. The process of becoming sound or healthy again. How many has ever gone through a healing in your life? Amen. Here's the definition for miracle. A surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws 
and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. And that divine agency is God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the divine agency we're talking about tonight. First of all, man's gifting to help us. Example, doctors. As it says there in your handout, I believe we all understand that compassionate doctors, now that's a key word because we've all gone to some doctors that we didn't like their bedside manners or we didn't think they were very compassionate people. But we understand that compassionate doctors with a real passion to help hurting humanity are a gift from God. For the most part, doctors treat us with natural medicine, surgery and such, various surgical implants to help us get rid of pain and become more mobile again. I've got a bad knee. Some of you may have bad knees. And if the Lord doesn't do a healing here, uh, I'll probably have to have that torn meniscus repaired. But then everybody that I hear has a torn meniscus repaired in the next few months or years has a whole knee replacement. You know, so I'm just holding on and trusting that the Lord will take care of it as he has taken care of some other things for me. I know he is still on the throne. He's not left his throne. He's not sleeping. He's not on vacation. He's still God. He's still God alone. And he can do the work. I still believe he can do the work for me. He can do the work for you that needs to be done in the relationship of of uh, healings. Now, can you imagine where many people, though, would be today without knowledgeable doctors? I believe it is God who helps them to gain the knowledge that they need. They apply themselves to many years of study and clinical trials and things. Yet with all this, doctors are limited in what they can do many times. Matter of fact, to the point that they're literally called practicing physicians. Now, when I started out in carpentry, I might have been considered a practicing carpenter. But I sure never made a half a million dollars a year practicing carpentry or a million dollars a year practicing carpentry. Now, I don't begrudge any doctor for making the kind of money they make because they've had to go to a lot of schooling and they're, they're smart individuals and they do humanity a great service. But isn't it something how we go and we are literally going to those who are called practicing physicians? Well, okay, if they're practicing physicians, guess who they're practicing on? That give you some comfort to know the next time you go to the doctor that, hey, doc, go ahead and practice on me today. Give it your best shot, whatever you got in there, in that drawer, just pull it out and practice on me. I'll be the guinea pig. Oh, my, help us, Jesus. Uh, but with their help and the body's ability at times to heal itself, we can experience what we refer to as natural healing. Doctors are practicing physicians, but praise God, Jesus isn't practicing. He does all things well. Jesus doesn't make any mistakes, amen? Generally, doctors can help us, but God alone brings the healing after they've done all they can do. If the person's going to be healed, God does the healing. Which brings us to our subject what it's really about this evening, that's the gifts of healing and the working of miracles. Number two, the work of the divine gifts of healing. 1 Corinthians 12, 9b through 10. To another, the gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. The Scripture actually does not say, if you'll notice there, 
in your Bible. It does not say the gift of healing. It says the gifts, plural, of healing. Remember that these gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, not our gifts, they're not our gifts. They are given as he wills, not according to our ability or merit. Paul said that the manifestation of spiritual gifts are given to each of us for the common good or to profit with all or to meet the needs as they arise within the body. Gifts of healing are normally accepted as the supernatural power to heal all manner of sickness without human aid or medicine. The Greek word for healing is iama, meaning cure, to heal or make whole. Just as there are times when the gift of faith places divine certainty within our souls, there's also a mighty power of healing that assures us that healing will take place for those who are sick. Then the term divine healing evolves there. That's when we talk about divine healing. It's because it was divine. It was from God. We realized that man didn't have anything to do with it. We realized that medicine didn't have anything to do with it. I'll get into some examples of that a little later on, but that's when we call it it's divine healing. James 5, 13 through 16 says, Is any among you afflicted? Then let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him or her, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Oil, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And the prayer of faith. Listen to this. The prayer of faith. Didn't say whose, but it says the prayer of faith. You see, when my faith is low, yours could be way up there. And if my faith is low, I need you. Your faith might be low and mine might be up there. And in that case, you need me. Either way you look at it, we need each other, don't we? Because we just never know, you know, what level of faith we are right now and what kind of struggle and what kind of doubts we're having to battle and things of that nature. But it says, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Another word for save is deliver, bring deliverance to the sick. And the Lord shall raise him up, and if he's committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. doesn't mean hang out all your dirty laundry. But there's times when you just got to go to somebody and say, I'm sorry, and confess your faults and whatever, and pray one for another that you may be healed. Because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Not the, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. There was a time for that when we were growing up. But it says the effectual, fervent, hot prayer of a righteous person availeth or brings about much in our life. 3 John verse 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. He's not putting... uh, monetary prosperity, or even our physical health above our soul prospering. He said he wants that to happen. He wants us to prosper and be in health. But even as our soul prospers, because James realized, or John realized, that this the soul is the most important thing. And it's got to prosper. It's got to be blessed by the Lord. Now the question has been, and still is being asked, why does God supernaturally heal some but not all? Wish I had the answer for you. Especially when we say that it's God's will 
that we live in good health. Now, here's the thing I just want to tell you, and I can't answer you that question to the letter, just right to the bullseye. I can't. I can give you some thoughts and some ideas, but it's not my job to worry if it will work, if healing's going to work. It's my job to be obedient. It's our job to be obedient, to pray in faith, to lay hands on the sick, to anoint with oil. The rest is up to God. He's the healer, not me. I said, he's the healer, not me. He's the healer, not you. We do want to be conduit that he can flow through with the gifts, but it is still he that does the work. Let's never forget that. And let us always give him praise, glory, and honor for what he does. I don't care if he heals you of a headache, a toe ache, cancer, heart disease, or whatever. We should give him the glory and the honor and the praise for all of it. Matter of fact, the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variable, neither shadow of turning. He gives all good things. The Bible says he, give us, he gives us richly good things, wonderful things to enjoy. And we need to give him the praise for all of it. So, he's the healer. He responds according to faith. Not the fact that we're sick and pain, blind, lame, deaf, or dumb. He responds to faith. It is up to the sovereignty of God to heal who he chooses. Now, you know, that word sovereignty is kind of a big word. We can bring it down and call him the sovereign God. But literally, in layman's terms, it simply means God is God. And he can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do, how he wants to do it, to whom he wants to do it with, because God is sovereign. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray. Because throughout the Bible, it talks about prayer. So we pray to a sovereign God, and he wants to hear our prayer. He wants to hear our cry. He already knows what we have need of, doesn't he, before we even ask. But he wants us to ask. When we're parents and our children are small, I mean, we already know what they have need of, but we want them to ask us of things too. You know, a lot of times they'll maybe ask us more about toys than anything else, but still, you know, if, if we want to bless them with a new toy and they haven't had one for a while, you know, it's one, we like to hear that. You know, and, um, and so God's sovereign, and at times when there were great multitudes of sick people assembled, Jesus would heal only one, such as the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Also, the faith of the individual desiring prayer must be considered. Acts 14, 8 through 10 says, And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. Never. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. When all things are as God desires and the gifts of healing are to operate, then healing will occur. Number three, the work of the divine or the working of miracles. Again, remember that typically healing is a process. I know what I've been healed of in a process of time, but then I also know what God has done for me in the realm of a miracle when it happened instantly. And I could take you to the time, I'm going to in a little bit, take you to the time when it happened instantly. Three, the work of the divine, working miracles. Nowhere in the Bible does it say there's a day of miracles. And I want you to get this. I think it's in your handout. But there is a God of miracles. 
I've looked Old Testament through to the New Testament, and I've never seen where there's anything called a day of miracles. But I do see woven throughout the Old and New Testament a God of miracles. <laughs> At the only time we'll never need a miracle or a healing or anything like that again is when we step from this place over onto golden streets. We'll never again need a miracle or a healing or deliverance. There'll never be a sermon preached to sinners. There'll never be another Sunday school lesson taught because we will be like him for we shall see him as he is and we'll be in his presence for eternity. Amen? This is preparation time, church. We're just getting ready for a great homecoming one of these days. I'm sure that Calvary has had homecomings uh, over the years, and I've been used to homecomings over the years when a lot of people come back to the church they were raised in or grew up in or whatever, and you have uh, just an overflowing crowd. Can you imagine what homecoming is going to be like in heaven? Where we'll, <laughs> where Brother Paul, I'm going to be perfect age. I'm going to have hair again. You too. And it's not, I don't think it's going to be gray either. You know, some of us have that problem. Some of us guys have that problem. What, what has it turned loose? Turn gray. You know, but anyhow, it's going to be wonderful then. Now, so there's no such thing as a day of miracles, but there's a God of miracles. Today, such miraculous events seem rare, and when we do hear reports of miracles, many Christians are even skeptical. At the very least, we feel there's something different about the way God worked in the Old and New Testament periods and the way he works today. This raises a valid question. Why don't we experience today the miracles we read about in the New Testament? Think about it. I'm sure you've asked yourself the question. Why aren't we seeing more miracles uh, in America, especially than what, than, like we did years ago? Why? Why? Miracles in Scripture are acts of God that proclaim his sovereign power over creation as well as his commitment to the good of his people. Miracles are, are often significant because they serve a larger purpose in God's redemptive plan, testifying to the authenticity of God's messengers who bring his revelation to humanity. This is one of the primary functions of miracles, the Scripture narratives. When miracles occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel. Miracles authenticate God's message and his messengers. In the Old Testament, Moses did miracles to demonstrate his authority as God's spokesman. You can read it for yourself sometime at home, Exodus 4, 1 through 9. Similarly, the prophets were given words to speak from God in order to verify their authority that God had granted them the ability to perform miracles, 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24, 18, 36 to 39, and 2 Kings 1 and 10. Whereas the miracles of the Old Testament age, authentic, authentic, yeah, I can't even say it, authentic, help me here, <laughs> yeah, authenticated, something like that. Moses and the prophets as men of God, you need a miracle to say that. Uh, the miracles of the New Testament age authenticated in turn Christ and his apostles. Nicodemus, for example recognized that God was with Jesus because of the miracles he did. Said in John 3, 1 through 2, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do 
these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He recognized it. Luke 7, 22, Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way and tell John what things you've seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel's preached. Here John is about ready to be beheaded. And he's wondering now if he's really following the right one. Is his cousin, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the deliverer? The scope of Jesus' healing show the breadth of his authority. He heals the sick, casts out evil spirits, and cures a variety of specific conditions, a flow of blood, a withered hand, blindness, deafness, paralysis, epilepsy, leprosy, dropsy, and fever. He uh, resuscitates or raises the dead, uh, like with Lazarus. A lot of people would call that a resurrection, but really the raising of Lazarus or Jairus' daughter was simply that, a raising from the dead, because you see, they came to life, but they died again. Resurrection means to live, to die no more. And there's only one person that's been really resurrected, and that was the Son of the living God. Jesus Christ lives, and he'll die no more. But if you knew somebody tonight that was dead, and they were raised back to life, they might live a few more years, but they'd die eventually. The working of miracles works alongside the gifts of healing. For if someone receives an instantaneous miracle, we also say that they were healed of this or that. Not that they are in the process of being healed. They are healed because of the miracle they just received. Remember, God responds to faith, not simply the fact that we need a miracle or to be healed. If God responded to, uh, just, just, let's just use church people, believers, for an example. If God just responded to the fact that believers were sick and needed a healing, then there'd be a lot of us in here tonight, instantly we'd get a healing or a miracle. Just because he saw we needed one. But he responds according to faith. Somebody's faith. Now, I want to have faith to believe that God can heal me, but sometimes my faith may be weak, and that's why I need other people's faith to be strong because the Bible didn't say whose faith. It just said the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Amen? And I'm sure you'd want that to happen as well in your life. Um, let's look real quick here at uh, Matthew chapter 9 beginning with verse 1, this just goes along with the fact that we've, we've got to have faith. Matthew 9, 1, He entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. He was paralyzed, lying on a bed, and Jesus, seeing their faith, didn't say that the one who was paralyzed had faith, but he saw somebody else's faith, said there, saw their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thine house. And guess what? Verse 7. He arose and departed to his house. He got a miracle right there. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto me. Can I stop here and tell you this? That God doesn't just perform miracles because he has nothing else to do. God doesn't just perform miracles because he wants something to do. God performs miracles, I believe, for two main reasons. And that is because uh, the, the, the unbeliever needs to know there's a God in heaven. And the believer needs to have their faith increased. 
that God's still on the throne and he can still do miracles. He doesn't just go around doing miracles because people need him. He responds to faith and he does not for those reasons. Look at, uh, turn over to the 18th chapter or actually stay in chapter 9 for just a moment and look at uh, verse 18. While he spake these things, a lot of miracles right here. When he spake these things of them, behold, there, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. That sounds like he's speaking in faith to me. Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, now while they're on their way to take care of this, behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood for 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but just touch his garment, I shall be whole. Now this woman was determined, <laughs> and she had faith, and because of it, she reached out in that faith and was delivered. Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Now, one writer in this same story, one of the disciples speak up and say, but Master, I mean, look at all these people around you. Look at how they're thronging you and crowding in upon you. And, and you said, who touched me? See, that's the difference. There's a difference in thronging and touching. There's a difference in bumping up against somebody and reaching out in desperation and faith and touching the hem. And she knew something about the hem of the priestly garment. There's much different than that than just bumping up against somebody. And he felt virtue go out of him because of her faith that went out of her and touched just the hem of his garment. And she was made whole. Drop on down to verse 27. When Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I'm able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Yes, we do. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus straightly charged him, saying, See that no man know it. Down verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Over in Mark chapter 5, verse 25, is that story again of the woman with the issue of blood. We're not going to go there, but it talked about who touched me, and he looked around to see. Verse 33 had done this. The woman was fearing and trembling and all, but God had touched her and, and made her whole. The Bible says, that, you know, she had went to many physicians. We talked about doctors a while ago. She'd went to many physicians, but she was not any better, but rather grew worse. Isn't that how it is? Sometimes you go to a doctor and you're really in pain and you want help and you end up in more pain when you leave. You've been there, huh? Yeah. You can read those others. Let's, let's carry on. Miracle is literally translated operations of works of power. The Greek word is dunamis. It's used 120 times in the New Testament. The word refers to strength, power, or ability. 
It is the root word of our English words dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. The great thought here is power, the power of God operating by the Spirit of God in and through the church. One of the best descriptions of a miracle is a supernatural act that transcends the ordinary powers of nature. You believe God can do that? You believe God who created nature and all that is can supersede what he created when he needs to, when he wants to? If he can make the sun stand still, if he can part the Red Sea, those are natural elements. If he can do that, can he not take a natural cancer, a tumorous thing within somebody's body and speak the word and dry it up, dissolve it, and it not be there the next time you go for a doctor's examination? Sure he can. According to his sovereign will and by his act of his power, God can at any time change or transcend what appears to be basic laws of nature. Miracles manifest generally in an unexpected manner with a special intensity, the presence of God here below. Miracles are like fingers pointing to God and Christ, drawing men to them in reverence and awe. Not only did Jesus heal the sick, but so did believers in the early church. In fact, Jesus said that healing would be one of the signs following those that believed in Mark 16. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Didn't say just preachers. Didn't just say evangelists. Didn't just say Sunday school teachers. It's talking about believers. These signs shall follow them that believe in my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands upon the sick and they will recover. Not might recover, they shall recover. Somehow, church, we've got to believe that again because there's a lot of hurting sick people in Springfield, Illinois, and there needs to be some churches in Springfield, Illinois that do not throw out the healing scriptures while they're holding on to the scriptures of salvation because if God can bring a miracle of salvation and heal the sin-sick soul, then it is nothing for God to touch the body and heal the sick body from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. Somebody give him some praise tonight. He can still do it. In closing, why do I believe in healing and miracles? Me, why do I believe? First of all, because I believe the Word of God. The Bible is full of miracles from Genesis to Revelation. If you take the miracles from the pages of the Bible, all you have left is a sterile, lifeless manuscript. Because I'm telling you, from the time of the beginning of creation through the book of Revelation, you see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? Because God is God, and God is power, and God is love, and God is a miracle-working God. Secondly, I believe, because I grew up seeing people receive divine healing and miracles, and I've had a few myself along the way. I could even go back to my parents that were Christians, you know, in southern Illinois and would go to different camp meetings in Benton, Illinois, where our campground was at, and they would testify of seeing the things that I didn't get to see, of people coming up to the altar in wheelchairs and crutches, one leg being shorter than the other. I remember one man at camp meeting, I was just a young boy, maybe 10 or 11, 12 years old, but he came to camp meeting with the one shoe with a real high heel on it. And they saw these miracles of people's 
leg coming out to be the same length as the other. They saw people that were deaf here again. Different things that they would tell me about as I was growing up. But then I've had the experiences that I don't have time to get into them in specific detail. I think I already told you I wouldn't be here tonight. If God hadn't have healed me, process, it wasn't a miracle, it didn't happen instantly, but a process of healing of rheumatic fever. When I was in first and second grade, in third grade, fourth grade, and I didn't get to do like all the other boys and play like they were playing and run like they were running because my joints hurt too bad and I was missing too much school and, and then they held me back in second grade. But you know what? I didn't realize it, but my parents, I believe, realized it, that God was doing a healing in my body along the way. Because when I got into the sixth grade at Staley Elementary School, I had a gym teacher that was about six feet tall. He was, and I was, I don't know how tall at that time, but I wasn't very, very tall. You know, whatever your average is in sixth grade. But, and this is not boasting, it was just a simple fact, I was fast. I could run really fast. Today, if I tried that, oh my goodness. I'd need, a miracle, I'd need a miracle for my face because I'd be face-planted. But I was fast, and the kids in my class, and Rich Dimke was one of them. He was actually now one grade ahead of me, but we still, you know, were together at school. They wanted me to race the gym teacher one day. I think you got to be kidding me. And they, they wanted me to enter. Matter of fact, the gym teacher wanted me to enter the jamboree of running out at Landfair Track, you know, so I did. And, of course, hey, man, I, I came in third place. I, I didn't do the long run stuff, you know, the uh, uh, 880 and all that, very good. But I was, a, I was a sprinter. I did the 75-yard dash. They didn't do meters back then. It was 75-yard dash, 100-yard dash. I could do those and came in third place against some really fast guys. But they, this one particular day, they said, why don't you race the gym teacher? He wants to see what, what you can do. Now, remember, he's six foot tall. So think about his stride compared to mine. Well, I raced him. I'd like to be able to stand here and tell you I won. But I'd be lying, and I know where liars go. But I came close. That's all I have to say. I came close. I was within reach, you know, of, uh, of beating him. But uh, I think that's when my parents could understand that something was up. God must be doing something because this little boy of theirs couldn't do all of this running before. Now I'm out there playing softball and baseball and football and basketball and running and having a good time. And then I was healed from damage from a broken jaw. In 1976, when our oldest son was born, he was only uh, about uh, three months old or so. And I was playing for the company that I worked for, softball, out at Riverside Park. And when I played ball, I gave it everything I had. And we were playing in a tournament, supposed to have ten. They'd let you play with nine, but we only had eight. So they went ahead and let us play with eight. That was the mistake. Because I'm playing shortstop and second base. And there's a shallow fly ball that's hit my direction, going out toward uh, left center, and I'm running like this, you know. I got my glove on my left hand. I'm running like this to get the ball, 
and I wave off and I call off the left fielder as he's coming in, but he doesn't stop. And I couldn't see because I wasn't going to take my eyes off the ball. So I keep running and running and running to catch the ball. About the time the ball gets to my glove, his uh, left shoulder, right shoulder I should say, got to my jaw. And I went down and almost went out. It didn't quite go out. But they said, well, you're going to have to have a lot of teeth pulled and you're not going to have any feeling in your lip and you're going to bite your tongue when you eat and you're going to bite your lip. (laughs) But again, there's another doctor. Dr. Jesus had something else to say about it. He put it all back together. Yeah, I was wired up for six weeks. My wife had this for six weeks. I was practicing to be a ventriloquist. And I had to eat everything through a straw, you know. Father's Day. It was Father's Day. And my, my father-in-law, he, he raised his own cattle, beef. Not a lot of them, but enough to feed a few. And, oh, they were so tender. We went out. They let me out of the hospital before surgery on Father's Day. I said, you check back in, you know, after Father's Day, and we'll do the surgery. But I got to go out to the country, to my in-law's house, and have T-bone steak that was so tender. They put it in a blender. (laughs) My wife can tell you she wore out more than one blender in six weeks. They put the steak off the bone in the blender, and I mean pureed that as much as they could. And I took the straw, and between those brace things they had on there and everything, well, it was before the braces were on. I actually hadn't had surgery yet, but I was sucking real. And I'd get so far, you know, I'd get a few pieces down, then all of a sudden they'd clog up. I had to rinse it out and start all over again. I had a lot of jello, lost 15 pounds, but God brought healing through it all. And then a miracle at Ron Harbonke's meeting in New Orleans, our uh, General Assembly, Church of God General Assembly that year, I went to that assembly with an eye injury. Everything that seemed to happen to me happened from here up. And a lot of it was sports-related. Well, my son, Jeremy, the youngest boy, when he was pastoring in Pekin, Illinois, he was playing baseball, and we were out at the park, and I was up against the fence, and I was getting down in the catcher's position, and he was pitching to me. And I, I went down like this. Well, he threw the ball too soon, and it glanced off the top of my glove and hit me right there in that eye. And I went back, and for a minute, I mean, I was just blind in that. I couldn't see nothing. Went to the doctor, and they said this, this, this about the retina, and detached this, and whatnot, and and, and, and then problems started settling in, and I ended up with uh, glaucoma. And they put me on medication that made me depressed. And we were getting ready to go to General Assembly. We got to the General Assembly, and I don't know what service, what night it was, but he had preached his message, Ron Harbonke. You've seen him on TV, I'm sure, know about him. And he was giving an altar call for people to receive the Holy Ghost, and he stopped halfway into that altar call. And he said, I have a word of knowledge that there's people here that's been injured in an accident. And if you'll reach out by faith right now, God's going to heal you. Matter of fact, he said, God's going to do, give, a, give you a miracle. I look around. I said, okay, Lord, there's 20,000 people here. But I'm going to pretend like I'm the only one here that's been in an accident and hurt. doesn't matter if there's another 2,000 here. That word's good for me and them too. So I reached out by faith up in that balcony, and I said, yes, Lord. And I didn't tell my wife, but on the way home from New Orleans, back to Illinois, I got rid of my medication, threw it away, 
We got to come back to the doctor, went to the eye doctor for a test for glaucoma, and they said, your, your pressure in your eyes perfect. Fine. So I knew God did a miracle right there. To God be the glory. Then I've told you about the ulcer on the vocal cord and how that's gone. I believe God did a process of healing with that. And then bladder cancer. I go back in June for another exam for bladder cancer, but the last two or three trips it's been uh, gone. It's not there. I'm believing again when I go back. It's not there. And I still need another miracle, and I'm still holding on to the unchanging hand of God for that miracle. Now, if you don't need a miracle right now, you will someday, regardless of denominational ties or doctrine or doubting disposition. If that's the case, when life hangs in the balance, you will desire a miracle. When your doctor tells you the worst, your first enemy to fight is going to be fear. But guess what? God is more powerful than fear. He's more powerful than fear. Would you stand tonight? Thank you, Jesus. That's why I believe in miracles. And I just want to ask you in closing before we pray. Do you believe on this Wednesday night that the same God of this Bible that did all these miracles and that Jesus did all these miracles, do you still believe he's on the throne and he can heal and he can do miracles? Do you still believe that? Give him praise like you really mean it. Join the hand of the person next to you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, there is so much more I could say tonight about the miraculous, about gifts of healing. But Lord, I pray that your people have received this tonight and will take some notes and read some more scriptures and anyone that is here tonight that is sick in body, I pray that you will bring them healing. I pray, God, that you'll give them a miracle. I pray, God, that they'll begin to listen to... Uh, uh, songs of uh, powerful songs about healing. I pray, God, that they'll begin to read Scripture after Scripture about healing and about miracles and that they will quote those Scriptures and, and memorize those Scriptures. And when the enemy tries to come against them with doubt and fear and unbelief, that they'll be able to turn the Word of God against the enemy and the enemy will have to flee in Jesus' name. I just pray, God, that you'll do the work that needs to be done in their hearts and lives and that God, with the gifts of the Spirit, that we've been talking about in these gifts of healing and the working of miracles. You actually called it in your word, they're working of miracles. That these things will flow through our lives as believers. And God, yes, we, we appreciate doctors, but moreover, we appreciate you, the great physician. Bring healing, we pray. Do a speedy, speedy work in people's lives in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's children said, amen. amen and amen. Give him another hand clap of praise.